attitude is the way you think and feel about something or someone. You can't get stronger without working out and working on your attitude. This message is the sixth in the series, I Will Grow Stronger. The message is entitled, Improve Your Attitude, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to the Scriptures today. I do want to mention uh, a couple of things before I get started. First of all, what an amazing volunteer summit we had yesterday. Uh, once again, we just want to say thank you to all the volunteers here at Church of the Redeemer. Thank you so much for all of your service. We love you and appreciate you, and the work of the kingdom of God could not be done if it were not for folks like yourself. And also, uh, if you're interested in traveling with us, any of you interested in traveling us to Israel this year, please know that uh, the Israel trip is planned for the 12th through the 22nd of June this year. And uh, reservations, actually installments are already being made for people who want to be a part of that trip. And so if you want to be a part, we have a limited number of spaces. So we'd encourage you to go get signed up as soon as possible. And I believe there's some places around all of our campuses where you can get more information today. You certainly can do that online at church-redeemer.org slash holyland. So it's a great thing to be able to walk where Jesus walked and uh, to hear the Bible lessons in the place where uh, you can actually look over and see exactly where they transpired. It's an amazing event. So we would encourage you, if you're interested, to go ahead and get signed up for that. We're involved in a series of messages called I Will Grow Stronger. We're talking about how Jesus very clearly wants to do something incredible in your life. When Jesus brought you into the kingdom, he made it very clear that his purpose was to give you an exceptional life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil. That's what he will do to you. He will steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to know this that phrase that Jesus said, The kind of life that I plan for you is a life that is abundant, and not just abundant, but more abundant. When we think about that word abundant, it has all kind of applications to us, and it certainly goes far beyond anything we think in terms of the material, material realm of life or just the physical realm of life, but a well-being that happens to us on the inside. With Jesus, you can have much more of a life than you would ever have apart from Jesus, not only in this life, but obviously for eternity. But for us to experience the more life that Jesus has for us, we have to cooperate with Him. Just like any gift that is offered, the gift is not, you, don't, you do not benefit from the gift until you do your part by reaching out and receiving it. You have to engage the process. And the same is true when it comes to the more abundant life that Jesus has for you. You have to engage the process. You have to do something. You have to make some choices that will position you to experience that life. And so what we're doing in this series together as we're talking about some of the choices that are essential for experiencing the more life. You were made for more. How do you experience it? And one of those choices is the choice we're looking at in this particular part of the series. The choice is, I will grow stronger. Would you say it with me? I will grow stronger. All of our campuses, let's say it again together. I will grow stronger. It is a choice to say, I will not remain weak. I will grow strong. And today, as we think about this whole idea of growing stronger, I want to talk to you about the connection between your attitudes and gaining strength in your life. We're going to talk about improving your attitudes this weekend and next weekend. Because there's a central ingredient that we'll look at together that is so vital for you to gain spiritual strength in your life. Now, to understand this connection between attitudes and spiritual strength, we have to start with the definitions. So let me give you the biblical definition of an attitude. What is an attitude according to the Bible? It is a settled, habitual way of thinking. 
It's a, it's a thought process or a thought structure or thought structures that you fall into and generally are not even completely aware of that will affect your perspective on things and will affect your emotions. So your, the, the whole idea of attitude re- really in Scripture deals with your mindset. It deals with the way that you think, the structure of your thinking, the habitual ways that you view and think about life, the perspective that comes with that, and the emotions that accompany it. There's also an aeronautical definition of attitude. For those of you who have been pilots or are pilots or have some familiarity with aircraft, you understand that flying an airplane involves at least many different things, but there are two things that you certainly do measure in an airplane flight. That's altitude, how far are you from the ground, but also attitude. The plane has an attitude, and the attitude of the plane is the pitch of that plane in reference to its horizon. And so if the, pain, the plane is off pitch, then you can potentially have trouble. If your altitude drops, you can potentially get into trouble. And so all of these things work to keep that airplane in flight. And so the attitude is the pitch, if you will, in reference to horizons. In your life and my life, we all have attitudes that are somewhat temporary. All of us have days in life we can say, you know what, this was a good day or this wasn't such a good day. It was kind of a bad day. And so as a part of life, attitudes come and go, and that's normal. There are the normal vicissitudes of life where there's the up and downs, a bit of a, a roller coaster from time to time. And so you're never going to be on a perfectly level plane when it comes to attitudes. We all have good days and we all have some bad days along the way. And I'm not talking about the attitudes related to just the temporal dimensions, the ups and downs that are normal in life. What I'm talking about is the systemic kind of attitudes that you have, the kind of attitudes that really do set the course of where your life ends up, the trajectory of your life, the mindset that you carry with you that will afflict you, affect you, impact you in some way in terms of your own individual life day in and day out perspectives-wise and the emotions you experience and the productivity of your life. And we're talking about how we adjust those. What do we do? And so how do we equate and connect the idea of strength with attitudes? I want to talk to you today, first of all, about an example of a man in the Bible who had some extremely stellar attitudes. The man's name is Nehemiah. He's record, the story is recorded in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read to you all the passages that you will find on your notes today. I would encourage you to take some time and read them on your own. But let me just simply tell you the story of the man by the name of Nehemiah because he is an example of maintaining good attitudes and the impact that can happen. Nehemiah was a Jewish man living at the time of his life, living in the Persian Empire. He had ended up in the Persian Empire by way of the Babylonian captivity because Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, had continued in idolatry and God had warned them if they continued in idolatry, they would be taken away by Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar would come down and raid them and take them away. That's exactly what happened. And eventually Persia conquered Babylon and we find a dispersion of Jews still living in the Persian Empire, one of those being the man Nehemiah. Nehemiah had arisen to a very significant position in the Persian Persian Empire. He was the cupbearer to the king. He had advanced significantly. He was a well-respected man, but he's living in Persia away from his homeland. 
One day, while he's serving the king of Persia, there's a delegation from Jerusalem, his home city, that comes, that comes to him in the city where he lived in Persia and began to present to him some problems that existed back in Jerusalem. And the main problem was this. The walls of the city were still broken down. They had no protection around the city, the, around the city but by, by basis of their walls. Because back in those days, the walls were, were the defense of a city. And this had happened, this had been the case for over a hundred years, and so even though the temple had been restored and rebuilt, and they had worship going on back in Jerusalem, they still had no protection. The seriousness of this perhaps can be understood by you if you had a home that had no doors on it, a home that had no windows in it, and so anyone could come in anytime they wanted to, and so that's what was going on with Jerusalem, and so when Nehemiah heard the news of his hometown being still vulnerable to attack, it broke his heart. He began to weep, cry, called out to God, and asked for some kind of intervention that he could help get this problem remedied. And the king of Persia gave him leave to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So he leaves Persia and goes back to Jerusalem for a period of time to actually lead the effort in the rebuilding of the walls. When he arrived there, he investigates the city, takes a look and sees what the walls are. He realizes this is terrible. It's a bunch of rubble. It is a mess. But he gathers all the people together and says, you know what? God's going to help us. Let's, let's join in unison. Let's come together and let's rebuild those walls. And of course, if you know anything about the story, you might recall that all the people gathered around the leadership of Nehemiah, they caught the vision, they began to rebuild the walls. They started out well, but Nehemiah had to continue to maintain the attitude that was going to get them to the end of the project because it was opposition along the way. There were folks that did not want that wall to be rebuilt, and so they kept opposing all the builders, and over a period of time, the morale of the builders uh, would decrease and flagged along the way, and Nehemiah had to continue to work to keep their attitudes strong, and that was one of his main, main goals and main responsibilities in leading the people of Israel to the rebuilding of that wall of Jerusalem. He kept their attitude in the right place, and then a miracle happened, a tremendous miracle happened. In 52 days, the wall was rebuilt. Think about that. In less than two months, this horrible disaster that had laid ruin for over 100 years, most likely, was now rebuilt. 52 days. Most of us can't paint our house in 52 days. I mean, we're talking about rebuilding walls in 52 days. How did this happen? What I want you to note here is this. This happened for two primary reasons. It happened, number one, because God helped them. It was the grace of God upon the project. And second of all, it happened because Nehemiah worked hard to keep his attitude where it needed to be and worked hard to keep the attitude of the people where it needed to be. The attitudes mattered. And we come to one verse, actually one passage I do want to read for, for you from the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And while I will not have time today to set for you all the context of this particular passage, a lot of things we could talk about, they're actually... Uh, multiple sermons and what I'm about to read to you right now, but I'm only going to pull out one little part in just a moment, but let me read for you the context of it that will lead us to the one little part that I want you to note today, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God, for the people had been weeping, uh, had, had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah 
Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with, with, with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Would you read the rest of it with me? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now let's read it the way that passage deserves to be read. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's try it again. I believe you can do a little bit better. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right here, Nehemiah unpacks for us a principle that he understood. It was the principle that he utilized throughout those 52 days to get this project completed. He had maintained the joy of the Lord in his life. He had worked hard to maintain the joy of the Lord in the lives of those that had been working with him. And the miracle had happened because there had been continual adjustment to and management of attitudes. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to talk today about this connection, as I said, between your attitudes and your strength. And three things we'll look at together for the next few moments. Number one, we must understand that your attitudes either strengthen you or they will weaken you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is an attitude. We'll talk about more in a moment. But your attitudes will either strengthen you or they will weaken you. The right attitudes significantly increase your strength. Think about how well you perform when your attitudes are right. Have you noticed that when you have a good day and your attitudes are where they need to be, you get a whole lot more done, right? Correct? And the days when your attitude is, is slipping and you have not necessarily the best attitude, what happens then? Your productivity suffers because of it. And so there's a strength that comes when your attitudes are where they need to be and there's weakness that happens when they are not where they need to be. And many people, without realizing it, they are actually sabotaging their productivity and sabotaging their own energy by their attitudes. Sometimes your problem with energy is not a physical problem. Sometimes it's an attitude problem. And sometimes just the adjustment of your attitude can affect your energy levels. Not always the case. We ought certainly have fatigue that is normal and real in the physical body. But sometimes the fatigue of your body is directly related to the attitude in your soul. And so your, your attitude will strengthen you. Your attitude will weaken you. How you view God, how you view yourself, how you view other people, it positions you mentally to either increase your strength or drain strength from you. Number two, joy is the attitude that brings you the greatest strength. What is the primary attitude that you and I need and desire or should desire in life? What will bring you the greatest strength? What will give your life the greatest mileage? Well, according to the passage we just read a moment ago, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy is the pathway to strength. This is something a lot of folks never put together. It's just something that we never really think about. But joy is what leads you to strength. Not just any joy, but the joy of the Lord. See, at the core of your being, you and I need this center point of what I would call spiritual gravity that will keep us grounded throughout our life. It doesn't mean, again, that you'll not have some bad days along the way. It doesn't mean that you get this perfect all the time. But there's something that grounds you in the, the inevitable ups and downs of life that maintains a center sense of joy, the joy of God. The, the core attitude is the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
We looked at Nehemiah in the Old Testament. I now want to bring you into the New Testament for a moment. I want to draw your attention to a man that most of you may be familiar with if you've studied any parts of the Bible. In the New Testament, there is no man that has demonstrates any greater strength, spiritual strength, other than Jesus himself than the Apostle Paul. He was an amazingly strong guy. And the Apostle Paul wrote a number of letters to different Christians that we study in our Bible today, but there was one particular letter I want to, again, draw your attention to today, a short little letter that he wrote to a group of believers that he loved very dearly. It is his letter to the church at Philippi. It's called the book of Philippians. And this short little letter, only four chapters, only 104 verses, very short letter. You can read the book of Philippians probably in less than 30 minutes, but certainly even if you're a, a slower reader, you can read it in 30, 40 minutes at the very least. So only 104 verses here, but Paul writes these words to the church at Philippi, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that they are instructional for us today. Paul writes these words when he's in a Roman prison, chained to a Roman guard. I want you to think with me for a moment what your attitude would have been like to have been in the same circumstance that Paul was in. Paul had done nothing wrong. Paul had only been preaching the gospel, trying to help people, doing things that were good for people, sharing that with them the love of Jesus, but because of opposition that rose against him, he was incarcerated in Rome. He is suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, having done nothing wrong whatsoever. He's chained, as I said, to at least one Roman guard, perhaps two Roman guards, every day of his life for an extended period of time while he's in prison. He's suffering in this kind of an environment, and yet in the midst of this, he writes what is known as this book of Philippians, also known as the letter of joy. I have to say that if it were me, I'm not sure that I could have penned the same kind of letter, but Paul had an attitude that was incredible. It was absolutely amazing. Let's pick up on Paul's attitude in Philippians chapter 1. Let's dive in and see how he did what he did. How did he maintain the attitude that brought him strength? Listen to what he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Look at verse 20, same chapter, chapter 1. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. This is absolutely astounding. Here is this man in prison, having done nothing wrong. And he says, you know what? While I'm here, I've been thinking about what my perspective is on this situation. What will my attitude be here? I can just imagine Paul processing this as he's incarcerated there. You know, he says, I can take one track and I can be all upset about the fact that I'm in prison and this is unfair, I shouldn't be here, I didn't do anything wrong, I can become bitter about this situation, or I can adjust my attitude to, to a different perspective and begin to see that actually God can take what I'm going through right now and bring about something wonderful and something good for it. And Paul said, I'm going to choose to go toward the good attitude 
track. I'm going to begin to believe that God will take what I am going through and bring benefit to others for it. And in fact, because he took that attitudinal track, he began to see the advance of the gospel. And Paul said, even though I'm in prison, somehow this has worked together for good, that God's word is being proclaimed. And all I want to do is while I'm here is that no matter if I live or if I die, one thing is important to me. I just simply want to honor Christ. It's an amazing attitude, isn't it? You wonder, how did Paul stay so strong in prison? Paul stayed strong in prison because he kept his attitude where it needed to be. He adjusted his attitude. Let's take a look at the last chapter of this very same book. Again, we're investigating the attitudes of the Apostle Paul, and we're seeing the connection between attitudes and strength and the connection of joy associated with that. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, Paul says, whether it be a full stomach or hungry, plenty or want, for I can do everything God asked me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. Paul said, I've learned something along the way. I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned the secret of joy. I've learned the secret of being able to maintain the environment that I'm in with the right attitude and survive it. Not only just survive, but thrive through it. And the attitude is to make sure that I keep focused on the fact that Jesus is the one who will get me through whatever I face in life. It's not the external things that will carry me through, but it's the internal. And so Paul said, I've had to work hard, even in times when I didn't have much and times when I had plenty. I've had these situations that I had to adjust my attitude. I had to learn the secret of contentment. I had to learn that in Christ I can do all things. Perhaps you will remember verse 13 from an older translation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. So Paul said, I've learned that my externals don't have to affect my internals. I don't have to be driven by what happens on the outside, I'm going to be controlled by the right attitude on the inside. I can be in a place, a prison that is unfair to me, yet I can still have a joy that keeps me going. I can be in a situation where I don't have very much, but I'll still have a joy that keeps me going because I know that Christ is, a, is enough for me. Christ carries me through. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul did not allow the externals to find their way internally to him. What I will tell you is this, the devil loves to get your externals and make them internals to you. If he can get your external troubles translated into internal situations for you, then he's got you right where he wants you. But Paul said, I'm not going to let the externals find their way inside of me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let me take you to our third point. The third lesson I want us to learn today Actually, it's a, a statement that I want you to lay hold of in your life today, and that's this, joy is possible for you. It's possible for you. You might say to me today, well, you know, Pastor, I, I get it. You know, Nehemiah, he was kind of a superstar. You know, we understand that. And Paul, obviously, he's a, he's a spiritual superstar, and we understand how they do stuff like this. But you don't really think I'm supposed to do that, right? You don't think I'm supposed to live with joy in my life, right? Well, it's not what I think. It's really what the Bible thinks, correct? So the issue becomes, is joy something that's actually possible for an everyday, ordinary Christian like you and me? 
Is it just for the spiritual superstars or is it for people like us? And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, as we're going to see in just a moment, that joy is not just for the spiritually elite. Joy is for everyone. And I want to tell you something today is I hope will become a, a transitional point in your life. When it comes to God's will for your life, joy is God's will for your life. Did you hear that? Joy is God's will for your life. Now, when I say joy, I'm not talking about being bubbly all the time and just spilling over with, with a giggly sort of excitement all the time, but I'm talking about something in the center of your being that gives you that, that center point of gravity that keeps you grounded in life, that gives you that contentment that you know that Christ is carrying you through, that there's a joy that sustains you and gives you the strength that you need. That is God's will for every one of you. How do we get there? How, does it, how do we experience that? Well, Paul also gave us the secret to this in Philippians as well. In verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 4. Listen as I read this. I'm going to read from the, the Living Bible. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Always be full of joy. That is God's will for your life, that you be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Let me read this to you from the New International Version. The New International Version reads this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I'm going to give you portions of this and ask you to repeat it back to me. And so let's do this together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say that with me. I will say it again. Rejoice. Try that once again. Put your, put your heart into it. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let's put it all together and say it all together. You ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let's try it again together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. One more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Here's the good news. You just memorized a verse of Scripture. You never thought you could, right? Just memorize Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. What, what word is found twice in that short little verse? Circle it on your notes two times. Rejoice, rejoice. You and I cannot control the emotion of joy, but we can control the activity of rejoicing. Let's say that again. You and I cannot control the emotion of joy, but you do have control over the activity called rejoicing. Rejoicing is an activity, it's a decision. So Paul said, I have learned in my life to rejoice in the Lord. How do I gain the joy that I need that gives me the strength to do what I do and to maintain under the adverse circumstances I'm in? I've learned that rejoicing is the action that produces the fruit of joy in my life. I can't just go get joy, but I can rejoice. And in rejoicing, I experience joy. So what I want you to know in your life is that you can't just step back and say, okay, joy, come. Come on, joy. You're waiting around for joy. No, the way you get joy is by something you do. And what are you to do? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 
So rejoicing is something you can choose to do. You can do this, okay? You can do this thing called rejoicing. Every person can if they will choose to do it. In fact, why don't you turn to that friend beside you and tell him, you can do this. Go and tell him, you can do this, all right? Okay. You can do this, okay? It's not impossible. You can do this. I just imagine, this is not in the Bible, but I'm just imagining for a moment, so don't take this as Scripture. I'm just sort of using some speculation. I can imagine, I think there's some biblical grounds for what I'm going to speculate today, but, but I can just imagine the Apostle Paul, when he's in that Roman prison, I can imagine him waking up every morning where there was one guard or two guards chained to him. I can just imagine Paul waking up in the morning and saying, good morning, Lord, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the privilege of being in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, Today, let me be a testimony to this man to my right and this, this guard to my left. May, we, may I show Jesus to him today. And Lord, I thank you for reaching down and saving me that when I was in, on the road to Damascus, that you sent that light that blinded me and knocked me down and showed me the reality of who you are. And you saved me and washed me and gave me new life in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. I thank you that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. God, I rejoice in you today. I pray you today. I bless you today. I honor you today. I magnify you today. And those two guards are saying, what? Who is this guy? Okay. You wonder, how did Paul maintain strength? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. See, in every situation in life, you choose your attitude. You can't always choose your situation, but you can choose your attitude. Amen. And you'll either grumble and complain and be bitter and agitated by your environment and agitated by whatever the situation is in your life, or you'll choose to say, you know what, I know it may not seem so good and so positive. I don't really like being in prison. I'm sure Paul would have preferred to be free. But he says, you know what, in the midst of this, instead of going that way, I'm going this way. I'm going to choose to rejoice. It's something that you can do. Every person can choose to rejoice. It's a choice you make. It's an activity you engage in. And when you make the choice to rejoice, and when you engage in the activity of rejoicing, you set yourself up to move in the direction of joy that brings great strength to your life, that will sustain you in whatever you might go through in life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. How do I get joy? Rejoice in the Lord on Sunday. Is that what it says? No. It says rejoice in the Lord always. It's again a choice you make to rejoice. Now I want to show you why this is important and how this works together. Paul practiced this in his life in an ongoing way. Because this is not the first time we see this attitude surfacing in Paul's life. We see it earlier in his life. Because back with the first time he preached in Philippi, he was also arrested and put in prison in Philippi. I mean, basically, with the Apostle Paul, if you ever went to a town and wanted to find out where Paul was, just go to jail. That's where he was, okay? For preaching the gospel. And so in Philippi, he was also incarcerated. He was beaten to a pulp. He and his friend Silas, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16, right? Those of you that know your Bibles, Acts 16, the story's found there. And he was beaten to a pulp. He was put in prison in Philippi many years earlier. And the Bible says that at midnight in the inner dungeon of that prison, the Bible says that Paul and Silas began to pray and sing hymns to God. 
What was he doing? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And what I want you to see here is this. When you and I choose to rejoice, when you and I choose to praise God in whatever we're going through, the praise of God always attracts the presence of God. Hear me? You cannot praise God without attracting the presence of God. Let me also tell you this. Grumbling attracts the presence of darkness, okay? okay? Praise attracts the presence of God, okay? Always attracts the presence of God. That's why it's so valuable. I could tell you many stories. Jehoshaphat learned this lesson with the children of Israel when they were going to battle against the Amalekites or the, I can't remember all the ites that they were fighting, a bunch of ites, okay? And so, but anyway, God raised them up and sent out an army of worshipers ahead of them and the battle was won by praise. The same was true for, for Paul and Silas in prison. On that midnight, when they began to sing and praise God and pray and talk to God and begin to turn toward God in the midst of their environment, the Bible says that God sent an earthquake down and shook that place so that all the chains of the prisoners came off including Paul and Silas's chains and every prison door was open here's the good news when you choose the right attitude you'll not only set yourself free you'll set other people free okay? you'll set other people free and sometimes one of the things that binds up people around you is your your failure to rejoice in your own life okay and so you set other people free by your, your spirit. You set yourself free. And so Paul is in that environment. He begins to praise and worship God. And God sends the earthquake. And there's a great deliverance that happens. But praise always attracts the presence of God. Now go with me to the last verse on your notes here. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. Here's this connection. Because while you cannot produce joy in your own life, it's the joy of the Lord Rejoicing leads you to an environment of receiving this. Notice what when the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, what's the next word? Joy. So who produces that fruit in your life? The Holy Spirit does. And you attract the presence of God's Spirit by a choice to rejoice. Every time you praise, you welcome the presence. So there are three things, just three things I want to just foundationally lay for you today. Your attitudes in life really matter. Amen? Your attitudes matter a lot. Way more than perhaps any of us even realize. The way you and I think about things and process things, they matter a whole lot. And they will either strengthen you or they will weaken you. And what you don't want happening in your life, you don't want to be sabotaged by your own attitudes. Amen? You already have enough enemies to deal with, right? You don't need to, to have your attitudes be an enemy to you. Correct? Amen? Amen? Okay. So don't set yourself up to have to fight another battle. You already have plenty of battles to fight. Adjust your attitudes because they're going to strengthen your, they're, they're going to weaken. And the most important attitude that you and I can ever have is what? Joy. That's the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? Got that part? And then we realize that joy is not just for the super Christians, right? Who's it for? Say it's for me, right? It's for you. Every one of you. God wants you to experience joy. But to experience joy, there's a pathway to experiencing it and the way you and I step into an environment or create an environment where the Holy Spirit is able to produce joy in us is by the activity called what? Rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. 
you can do this. Amen. Did you hear me today? You can do this. Okay. Turn to the person you refused to talk to a moment ago and tell them, okay, you can do this. Go ahead and tell them, you can do this, okay? Come on, tell somebody like you mean it. You can do this. They need to hear that from you. You can do this, okay? This is not impossible. This is something you can do. It's a choice to rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so very grateful that you've given us instruction about attitudes. Lord, help us, we pray. We're also very vulnerable to allowing just the evil and dark attitudes to afflict our minds and, Lord, just stinking thinking to get a hold of us in ways that drag us down. Lord, we we don't want to be those kind of folks. We want to be like Nehemiah, see great things happen through our lives. We want to be like the Apostle Paul that was sustained through the things that he went through because the attitudes were in the right place. And I pray today in the name of Jesus where there have been strongholds of darkness that have gotten a place in our attitudes. I pray this right now in Jesus' name. In fact, right where you are, I just just want to pause for a moment. I just feel the urgency of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pray a special prayer today right now. All across our campuses, so stay right there with me. With our heads bowed, eyes closed. If you felt like that you've just gotten into a rut in your mind, okay? There's just been a rut, maybe just negativity or some bad attitudes have gripped you recently and you want to see those things broken today. Would you just lift your hand right where all campuses, even I don't care where you are, I'm not, I'm not even looking myself. It's just for you and God right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see those hands. They're lifted up right now across all these campuses today and in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that there would be a demolishing of these strongholds in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, for the casting down of every negative spirit in our lives that would drain us, that would pull us down, that would sabotage, uh, Lord, who you want us to be and you and the freedom that we need to have in you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come against that today. And I pray, Lord, for liberation. I pray that chains would break today as we make the choice to rejoice. We thank you for it. We praise you for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.